and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney here with you as always, but I am just going to tell you one of your favorites is on my show today. So we're going to have a good time. Kristen Luck, welcome back. Thanks for having me. I don't know if this is my third or my fourth, but it's always a pleasure. I think you are now officially my most heard from guest. I love that. You know, I love to be number one. I know, I do. It's one thing I love about you, um, among many, many other things. But I will tell you, at the beginning of COVID, you and I got on a show, and I do remember very specifically, I started the show by saying, welcome to the shit show. <laughs> because yeah. we already had seen in a very short time that there was a dumpster fire going on. People were calling, freaking out about what was going on with business and in the market research, you know, where you and I live, you know, it was, it was nuts. So this is, I think a really great way that we're going to maybe close an interesting little door on our previous conversation. So before I get started, I have so many questions to ask you, Kristen, but for those of you who don't know Kristen, first of all, I don't know what rock you're living under, but Kristen is a very experienced serial entrepreneur. And an, unlike the fifth graders that I talked to last year, where I did like a little talk for uh, entrepreneurship, when I asked them what a serial entrepreneur was, they thought maybe I was actually making cereal that they might <laughs> like. So no, she's a serial entrepreneur and um, has really done a lot in the market research space with technology. And right now she is leading scale house consulting firm. And she focuses on non-traditional growth strategies for very, very data-driven marketing technology firms and market research companies. But I know that, you know, you've expanded, especially even through COVID into a lot of different industries. This just happens to be the one industry where you're known the most. And maybe people have heard your name now because you are our beloved president of the SOMR Association. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I went the opposite way during COVID. I doubled down on marketing tech and services. So, we actually don't work outside of that sector anymore. I kind of, you know, it, I, I eat my own dog food in many ways. You know, one of the things that I tell people is that I, I think there's a misnomer that in order to grow, you have to be all things to all people and you have to do a lot of different activities. And I find actually the opposite to be true. I think the more defined you can get and the types of clients that you service and the types of, uh, of projects you take on and, the, and your expertise, the faster your business grows. And that's certainly been the case with Scalehouse as well. Like uh, We had our best year ever this last year, which is kind of unheard of in the middle of a pandemic. And particularly since both you and I at the beginning of this pandemic gave away so much free time. So it's amazing that, you know, we had a year that was as good as it was. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I will go ahead and make it public and credit you. You encouraged me a lot in my own double down Yeah, <laughs> and double stay down. focused, stay focused, yeah. Priscilla. This is what you do. This is what you do. Well, quit getting distracted. And I, I think, you know, on one hand we're colleagues and we're friends, but on the other hand, I also pay you as a consultant and I think it's well worth every penny. And we also have had the best year ever. So there yeah. you go. I, and I pay you as a consultant as well. Oh, there you go. Now we've <laughs> revealed all the secrets. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, you want to do work with people you like. Um, yeah, I think that the, the folks that did really well during the pandemic were the ones that acted quickly and aggressively moved forward versus the deer in the headlights approach, which I think some people took, which was let's wait and see what's going to happen and then make changes. But by the time that happened, it was too late already. 
you know, the, the thing that defines companies that survive versus the ones that really struggle is decisiveness. And it's, it's something that I've struggled with myself in my own career. It's very hard to make some of those decisions to furlough staff or lay them off or to take, you know, a significant pay cut yourself or, you know, these are all, these are all challenging things or to say no to clients that aren't the right fit for you. Uh, so that you do have the room and space to take on the ones that are. And I, I think that, that that is something that I've struggled with myself, for sure. Well, I think one anchor that you've provided me is a phrase that you like to say a lot of times that action brings relief. And I think that we, you know, as entrepreneurs sometimes can just live in this consternation of I've got to make this decision and for right or wrong, you really believe in letting people make the decision and get that relief because we cannot possibly live under that kind of stress. For sure. Yeah. That, you know, I've been very upfront with the fact that I have, have suffered from anxiety you know, my entire life pretty much. And that little nugget was actually given to me at cocktail party by some random guy. I wish I could credit him for it. <laughs> but I, you know, we were having a talk. I think he was a psychologist. It was in New York. And we, you know, we were like chit-chatting over cheese platter or something. And that was like literally the most liberating piece of advice that I've ever gotten. I think because for me, I would get so bound up in the anxiety around making a decision that I wouldn't make one. But not making a decision is also a decision. <laughs> that's, right. the, that's the irony of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and one of the things you said is, I think something that will really help you is that to remember that action brings relief. Even if it's the wrong decision, you still made a decision. So right. you can move forward and, you know, yeah, are my decisions 100% correct all the time? No, of course not. No one's are. But I, you know, I can always correct that. I can course correct along the way, or I can pivot back and figure out a, a way of doing something differently. But I can tell you it's a lot better than sitting in that anxiety and that, you know, that, that feeling that you don't know what to do. Right, right. And one thing that I think was really key for me when you and I first met many, many years ago was this idea that, you know, I may hear that and understand that for your business, but it is very difficult for me to under understand that for of <laughs> me and for my business. And this is the beauty of a consultant. And this is the beauty of how important it is to surround yourself with people who are willing to tell you the truth about, you know, your company and about where you're sitting right now, like what kind of decision you're making and the way that you're going about, um, uh, going about thinking about your company. Yeah. It's very hard when you work in the business all day to take a step out and see what's really going on. And a lot of the things that slow a business down or can actually work against its growth are behavioral aspects of what's going on in the business. It could be the wrong employees in, in the wrong roles. It can be a lack of investment in marketing and sales and focusing on operations and products, which is very, very common, particularly in marketing tech and services. Mm. You know, there's a whole myriad of activities that, that, that go on that I think can be very hard to see when you're in the moment. And it can also be hard to understand how those behaviors need to change as your company grows. The things that serve you in the early stages of your company are not necessarily the things or people that will serve you as you're scaling. And once you get to 5 million and 10 million and 20 million, like those are really, really different growth, growth stages. And the activities that you do in those stages are vastly different. Oh, just even, just even hearing that, because, you know, we know that out in 
any market that you're in, there's no shortage of advice from people, just free advice. Oh, you should do this. Oh, this worked for us. Oh, yeah. but it, it, they are pointless when they have not considered where you are at your own growth stage. And I get this on the marketing side. People are like, oh, Facebook works for everybody. You know, oh, you should have done LinkedIn. You should have, I, I don't care what solution it is. They, something works for someone or they heard it worked for someone. And now somehow it's supposed to work for everybody. And that is just not the case. It's not. Yeah. You know, I spend a fair amount of time in every engagement I have doing, you know, a lot of data analysis going in to really try to understand where companies are in their growth stage and what the, you know, what the challenges are that might be, you know, really holding them back versus what activities are really, are really serving them. And, you know, to your point, Priscilla, I think everybody loves to give advice and everybody's, you know, was it a, a Saturday quarterback or Sunday quarterback? I don't know. It's don't a know. Monday. It's a Monday morning. It's, it's a Monday morning. morning I don't know. I don't watch sports. So this is very I know, clear. You now totally that, watched quote. that one. I did. I really did. I nailed that one. That was amazing. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was talking with a CEO of a very, very large company, almost a half, you know, uh, five run a $500 million company. And he, he was, he was a new CEO into the role. And he was saying that, you know, right now I'm like the, you know, the ship captain in the Suez Canal with like every middle-aged dad, like yelling at me from the, from the side, like turn it this way, you know? And yeah, of course, everybody wants to put their, their two cents in, but it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's, you need to remove that as a distraction. And that's the other thing, you know, particularly for, for people right now, you get inundated with sales calls and people offering you services and here's a great business opportunity. And I think it's, it's easy to get distracted by that. And that's why it's so important to have a strategic plan and objectives and key results that you're working towards. You can very, very quickly discern like, like what are opportunities and what are distractions mm-hmm. and the distractions go away. And that's not to say that that goes away forever. Maybe you want to revisit it down the line, but it's not right for you in the moment. And it's okay to say no to it. Right. And it's important to have people around you who can identify, you know, your patterns. I know that you, you, Jamin and I talk a lot and Jamin and I basically are the same person. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we like to take on way too much. We like to do yeah. a million things at one time, you know, and it's so funny because he and I talk and it's just, we're so good for each other because we see it and we're like, and I know deeply what you're about to say. And I know what you're thinking and I know what you're hiding from me, you yeah. know? but it's understanding that, you know, we have different personalities or different, maybe natural styles inside entrepreneurship too. And those are sometimes getting in the way of us having success as well. For sure. I think Jamin and I were really great business partners for many years because we are very different in many ways. Um, I'm much more pragmatic than he is. And I tend to get less excited about new things than he does. I'm, I'm more of a grouchy, skeptical one. Um, you know, my business partner now, Mike, is it, a great balance for me because, you know, he's, you know, he's much more deliberate about things and is much more you know, focused on the, on the finance and, um, optimization pieces of the business, which are a little less interesting for me, not just, you know, like obviously business finance is very important and I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing there, but you know, if I had to spend all day in Excel spreadsheets, I'd probably lose my mind, you know, versus Mike who can you know spend hours there and is, you know, just as pragmatic as I am, but also, you know, bring something different to the partnership that I, that I haven't had before. So it's been interesting in our relationship. I'm the Jamin. So, (laughs) wow. Yeah. I'm the Jamin. So, (laughs) 
Yeah. This is going to be our new, our, our new thing where he, that we say, I'm the Jamie. I'm the Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, it's interesting because I've, you know, work with early stage companies. And one of the things that I tell founders is, you know, picking your business partner is one of the more important decisions you can make. It is like a marriage. So be careful about who you partner with and understand, do they have a skill set that is, that is complementary? You know, are they going to drive me crazy? Or, you know, do we have, you know, you don't want to have somebody who is identical to you. That's, that's that's not healthy. Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to talk about a little bit, I want to shift gears and I want um, to hear from you. We're going to make this transition about, okay, this is where we sat for the last two COVID years, right? But I wanted to really give people a treat at the end of this year on this podcast to say, let's start with some good news. (laughs) Let's say, (laughs) let's, let's wave a magic wand 2022. I want to grow. What do I need to know? How do I need to prepare myself going into it? So before we go there, let's just kind of recap a little bit about the crazy years that were COVID because I, I I think nothing really sums it up more than the shirt that you're wearing, which says my favorite (laughs) color is no pants. (laughs) I'm only wearing this because you and I are, are on video together. I try not to wear this in public too much. <laughs> I but that- in full disclosure, I did accidentally wear this on a banking call one time and I didn't realize I had it on until about halfway through the call. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe that's not appropriate. Well, we're all just being ourselves, which is the dumpster fire of 2021. So let's yes. talk a little bit about that, like where you feel people are kind of kind of ending like there could be people who prepared they could be ending this year here people who just just stood still and were paralyzed how are they ending the year and people who doubled down how are they ending the year let's kind of wrap 2021 before we move into what do you think should be the rally cry for 2022 yeah I think the people who are seeing good good performance now are the ones that really narrowed their scope of of services early and and also doubled down on tech and, and marketing. So they, you know, they, if they had things that they were doing offline, they figured out how to do them online very, very quickly. Uh, and they also invested heavily in marketing. And I know that that goes against the comfort level of many people. The most natural thing that, that founders do or CEOs or executive teams do in times of financial crisis is that they, they huddle and they, they like try to, you know, not spend anything. So they bring, they try to bring everything as close as possible and hunker down. That is the wrong thing to do. And it goes against our, our natural tendency, the deer in the headlight kind of tendency to like, okay, I'm paralyzed with fear. Now I'm going to stop and wait. The, the people that made big, bold moves that did big marketing plays that, you know, took advantage of the fact that they could, they could hire. And, and, and I realized that not all companies were positioned to do this. And this is why I tell people now, don't get complacent now that we're, now that it might feel for many of you that you're out of the woods. You know, if you regretted not having a line of credit during the pandemic, now's the time to go get one. You know, these are the things you want to put in place before you need them. You know, I talk to a lot of people where I say like, well, what's, what's the situation with line of credit? Oh, well, we don't have a line of credit because we never needed one. Yeah, that's the time to get one. <laughs> you don't need one. You know, that's when you're gonna have be, have get the most competitive rates and you know you can get a line of credit and never pull on it. it right. It's just, it's a good backup to have there. And so I think the folks that, you know, sort of like went boldly into the night are the ones that, that really excelled and, and came out confidently and didn't back off of, of sales and marketing, which is generally, as you know, Priscilla, the first thing that people cut 
when there are cuts to be made, it's like, oh, well, we don't need the person in marketing. My next door neighbor's cousin can do it. Uh, that's not how marketing works anymore. <laughs> no, it's so complicated that to be honest, it's hard for us to keep up, you know, and anybody who tells you differently is lying to your face. They are. Yeah. I mean, I'm taking, I'm taking Mark Ripson's mini MBA this next year in marketing just to keep on top of things. I think he's brilliant. And I think, you know, my mantra is you always want to be learning new things. And I think when you get on your high horse and think, I know there, I, I know everything there is to know about everything you're on a slow path to death. Right. I think, right. I think, and particularly within marketing, you know, there's all of these changes that are coming up, you know, Google's doing away with cookies in 2023. How is that going to change things? You know, LinkedIn's constantly changing as you know, you know, you, you think you finally mastered marketing on there and then they change something you're like, yeah, damn, I'm back to square one. So, um, so yeah, so I think, I think there's always an opportunity to learn for sure. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned about double doubling down on marketing. That's something that you really like to say when times are tough, do. double down on marketing. Yeah. And there's one finer point to it that I really love that you have to say, because I think people walk away and go, ah, oh, we're not going to do that. We don't have the money for that. But one thing that you talk about is about doubling down on your efforts. If you're not going to double down on the money. So tell Correct. us, tell us a little bit more about that. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there are two arms or legs, I guess I would say to marketing. There's, there's communications and brand building. That's a long game strategy. And that's generally, those generally aren't paid strategies. They're long game. Um, and that's content marketing, every, you know, like kind of everything that you do on social media. And then there's performance marketing, which has a little bit of that long game brand building in it, but it's, it's primarily around lead generation and driving leads and how are you gonna convert those leads as, as quickly as possible? So you've got communications and brand building and you've got performance marketing. If you have no money to spend on marketing, that means you need to double down on activity. That means that you personally need to be on LinkedIn every day posting, commenting, on social media, writing blogs. You know, If you're not gonna put money in, then you have to put effort. And ideally you should be putting both, but if you have to, if you don't have any money, then it is, you know, I think I said this at the beginning, to the pandemic, you know, when others go quiet, you want to go loud, as loud as you can get. You want to be speaking, you want to be doing webinars. And I think, unfortunately, what a lot of folks found themselves in is, you know, early on in the pandemic, their entire marketing budget had been focused on events. Well, now there's no events and they hadn't invested any time in brand building or content marketing. And it's, as you know, as I'm sure you can attest to, Priscilla, it's, it, it, it is a long game that not only requires consistency, but it requires not getting, I, I, I think, uh, dejected when not everyone likes your post. I, I, you know, I tell, I tell this story all the time. Like, I, you know, some of my posts are super popular. I think I've got, you know, almost 11,000 followers on LinkedIn now. That has been the culmination of years of work that did not happen overnight. And, you know, I'll put up a brilliant post that I think is super helpful for people. And, it, you know, it'll get like a thousand views. And I'll post about my goddamn suitcase and it'll get 20,000 views. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is that I'm consistent with it. And I'm constantly, constantly on there talking, commenting on other people's posts. And I think that, that people get very discouraged when they start and they don't get a lot of followers. They don't get a lot of comments right away. Yeah, it's a long game strategy, but you, you still need to do it. 
Right. Yeah. It's like the, you know, what's the best day to, you know, plant a tree 20 years ago. What's mm-hmm. the second best day to plant a tree right. today? Today, Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like, tomorrow's going to be a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't like, just keep kicking the can. And there's lots, you know, there's lots of activities that you could do that don't cost anything, you know, e- email marketing. Yeah. That's time. You've got to write something, you know, but hopefully everyone listening to this has a CRM and a marketing automation platform. If you do not, please prioritize that for 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and if you can't afford to hire somebody to, to run it, then figure it out yourself. It's not rocket science. Right. I think, I think sometimes we put ourselves in these little buckets of things that we can do and things that we can't do. And I find that I'm actually capable of much, much more than I ever admit to myself. I think too, I, I think you'll agree with me here, the consumer being in the driver's seat in, in a myriad of ways has also trickled into B2B in the point where like things that used to be incredibly complicated, like if you remember the days of gold mine and then you know, sale, even Salesforce, you know, things that were uber, uber complicated. Oh my gosh. Do you remember ACT? Okay, anyway. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm so sorry. But it's like you know, having to learn how to program an SPSS before they had an interface. So you had to program oh like, God, yeah, yes. when I was at university. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I just like, yeah. it still like makes me like, yeah, yeah. 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 I also had a pager, Kristen. Anyway, moving on. Me too. <laughs> me too. And that, okay. Somebody was asking me the other day, like, what was the purpose of the pager? And I was like, I'm pretty sure like someone would page you and then you would find a payphone to call them. And they're like, what was the purpose of that? And I was like, really? I don't know. Well, yeah. But then when they say, what is a payphone? You're like, right. oh boy. Exactly. They have an uh, airport still. So yeah, go crazy. Uh, uh, well, okay. So I'll meet you over at Ralph Lauren in Chicago that, you know, that they have a restaurant. They uh-huh. actually have two payphones still in that restaurant. It is just, I will really? meet you over there. Next time we go, let's have lunch there because we just got to get a picture of ourselves. We just, uh, we payphone it's like 100%. a little payphone lobby in front of the in front of the um bathroom so you could just take a private call it's so awesome right next to the bathroom which is yeah. exactly where you want to take a private call of course yeah. <laughs> don't you know <laughs> it's the best place okay I don't even know what we're talking about hold on one second okay <laughs> so let's go back to like the complexity of what used to be CRMs and digital marketing and all this kind of stuff but you and I both know that the consumer being in the driver's seat out in B2C has translated over to B2B and so now these companies that are selling these big CRM systems marketing automation obviously I don't think if anybody's ever heard us, you know, Kristen and I are big uh, proponents of HubSpot and we work yeah. on that all day long, but choose what you're going to choose, get to know it. But these companies have had to break down their, um, their software and their services in a way that is very accessible, very trainable. And, you know, HubSpot, for example, has a free HubSpot Academy. There is no excuse for you saying, oh, I just haven't been able to, there's no manual. It's yeah, like, it's just interactive online learning that help helps you walk through these, you know, these pieces and between YouTube and HubSpot Academy, if you want to take the time and you don't have that money to spend and have an expert do it, it's completely out there, you know, yours for the taking. Yeah, you would be surprised at what you can learn on YouTube. these days. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, I am a fan of HubSpot as a not only a good entry level CRM, but one it can pretty much serve you, you know, until you, until you get to, to such a point where you have such a big sales team and such a complex, um, 
such a complex organization that it requires another CRM. And even then the, the mix that I recommend is Salesforce and HubSpot. So I would use Salesforce as my CRM and I would use HubSpot as my marketing automation platform. I just think you're not going to do better than HubSpot for, for marketing. Uh, right. The other great thing that they released, I think it was just this last year, is that they now have account-based marketing technology tied in, which before you had to license separately, which was, you know, it's, just, it's expensive to license demand-based or Triblio. And so to have that now all in one package, I think makes it even a more powerful platform. And this is not an advertisement for HubSpot. I know lots of people have, um, have their own CRM and marketing automation platform preferences, but I do think if you're in a more do-it-yourself and you've got more of a junior team and you want something that's not too complicated and not too expensive, that is the way to go, hands down. Right. You know, one interesting thing is you mentioned like people who weren't prepared, like for example, um, for uh, they didn't have a line of credit because they didn't need it before. Right. Oh my gosh, don't wait until you need it. Well, I think that way about marketing automation and CRM, well, don't wait until you need it. Like those things are horribly, you know, mind numbingly, you know, um, uh, uh, massive inner undertakings to get an entire organization on. And so starting small is a key for CRM and for marketing automation. And I don't think people truly understand that. It is. Yeah. I mean, I've gone into consulting gigs with companies that are over 10 million in revenue and they're running everything off of Excel spreadsheets. It's fascinating to me. And so they, because of that, they're not getting a lot of the business metrics that they need in order to really push their growth forward because they, they're, they're operating under very anecdotal data and not even data. I would say feelings. Right. feelings about how things are going. You know, I can't tell you how many engagements I've gone into where one of the first questions I always ask is about churn. Well, what's your, your over your client churn? And, and I'll hear like, oh, well, clients love us. And of course we've got great client relationships. And then I go in and I do a year over year analysis, which is super easy to do. Um, and they've got 60, 60% churn. Well, if you're a services company, your churn shouldn't exceed 20% a year. And if you're software, it shouldn't exceed 10. So if you're, if you're churning 60%, imagine if you kept that 60% of your clients and grew 20% every year, what you would be doing. Yes. I mean, the growth, then you can map out what that looks like. You know, every time I map that out for someone, they look horrified. Yeah. Well, as someone who has been through that process, and that's why I'm like, like about ready to cry. But the good news is, is that we're under 6%. Thank you, Kristen. Right. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, I'm sorry for having that traumatizing conversation with you, but it's going to pay off. Okay. I'll just wipe my brow now. It's okay. We're through it. We're through it all now. Right. Yeah. So let's, let's uh, pivot a little bit and let's talk about um, 2022. Yep. And what do people need to have in mind? What, what do you think it's really going to take for for people to succeed in business in 2022? Yeah, um, I think a, a, a few things. And it depends on whether you're a tech company or a services company. I think, uh, I, you know, I just, I just wrote a blog post about this this last week about, you know, really understanding what is, is driving your sales and whether, whether you need to focus on fuel or on friction. And I think that this is a, is a common mistake that people make from a sales perspective and one that I'm, I, you know, made a mistake on at Decipher, my last company where, you know, Jamin and I were partners, you know, we had a great software tool and we thought if we just put a bunch of fuel behind it and I define fuel as like sales and marketing activity. So you're, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're trying to sell, 
but people aren't buying and you're like, I don't understand. Okay, now I'm going to put more fuel behind it. Spend, 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 when the problem is friction. And you have to reduce or eliminate friction in order to get people to buy. And friction happens at all stages of the sales and marketing program. And it can also be based on what's going on with the product or behavioral reasons why people aren't adopting your product or service. And so defining that and understanding what is going to drive sales, I think is really important and could kind of do a deep dive between fuel and friction is one of the things that I'm encouraging my clients to do right now. Um, I think also that we are living in a in a really different time now. And I've talked about this a lot of the last couple of months is that uh, one of the things that COVID has done is, it, is that it has really accelerated our awareness that we live in a very globalized, hyper-connected, multicultural society. You know, I think COVID demonstrated to us how quickly things can spread because we are so hyper-connected people fly everywhere. You know, just last night I was reading this new, you know, variant of the virus now has been discovered in California. We're constantly moving around and changing locations and interacting with people on a global basis. And, and I think that although, yeah, that's cre that created a perfect scenario for, for COVID and, and for spreading it, it also has illuminated some real opportunities. I think that we have with hiring and with building a more, I guess I would say a more equitable and pleasant work environment for people. I think that when you look at knowledge work, which is largely what we do uh, and what marketing services and tech companies do, it's knowledge, you know, it's knowledge work. The knowledge work environment was largely designed after uh, a manufacturing environment. You know, they basically took a manufacturing environment where you would come in, you know, you're making a car or canning soup or whatever you come in everyone would work at the same location closely supervised from nine to five and then they would go home they'd go back to their houses um and and we basically just took that model and we put it on knowledge work and said okay now everyone has to come to the office be closely supervised uh and and work from an office when COVID hit we realized that that really wasn't the case that we could really work from from anywhere and I think that that provides companies with a huge opportunity. As I'm sure you're aware, there is a huge competitive environment right now for hiring. It's very, very hard to hire any kind of talent for, for knowledge work. It's extremely competitive. I've had clients that are giving massive increases to their staff to keep them from getting poached. Uh, everyone that I know, all of my clients are trying to hire people quite unsuccessfully. And one of the things that I've really encouraged them to do is, is rather than going with a, a, a an office first strategy to go with a remote first strategy. And that's not to say that you can't have an office location where you, where you do have staff. It just means that not everyone on the team has to be in that office. You know, if I look at a, an office first culture where everyone has to be in an office, I'm restricted to only hiring in the radius of that office. In a remote first culture, I can hire the best talent from anywhere in the world. And maybe I'm bringing those people together on a quarterly basis or a um, a monthly basis, depending on where they are in the world and what their, you know, what their, um, you know, what their focus is. You know, if I have a, you know, a sales and marketing team, for instance, I might want to bring them together on a quarterly basis in some centralized location. But, uh, you know, I think it brings around kind of a Darwinian business aspect, which is, you know, if you and I run companies, 
at in the same space and I have better talent at a lower price and lower overhead, uh, I'm going to put you out of business every day of the week. And if I repeat that enough times with enough competitors, the remote first model is, is going to dominate market research and insights without a doubt. And I think that the firms that I see that are really going to struggle are the ones where there is an insistence on people coming back to the office. It just is, you know, I think they're going to lose I think they're going to lose good talent. I think they're going to have an unsatisfied workforce. It does for me bring up an interesting piece of a passion project of yours that you started many, many years ago, uh, Women in Research, this completely free to join network uh-huh. of women yeah. all over the world, reaching out to each other. And, you know, obviously that was ahead of its time in a lot of ways, but I do think to the extent to which, um, people realize that remote does not mean really remote. I'm not sure that why we're using that word, you know, that yeah. don't have to be siloed or, you know, hidden away or these kinds of things. I do think that those types of associations are now more important than ever because we're not getting all of our mentorship, you know, peer review or even sponsorship from our primary organization and expanding our networks out and making sure that we help our employees spread their networks out um, is, is super important. For sure. I also think that, and I say this to folks living in the U.S., if you are in the U.S. doing business here, we have a very egocentric approach that we know the best way of doing everything, which is not the case at all. One of the reasons that I've been so involved with SMR and why it's been such an important association for me is because I have met people from all over the world and taken best practices that they have, ways of doing research, ways of marketing. Um, you know, some of the best learnings that I've gotten out of the last year have been out of companies in Latin America. I, I mean, you know, when you don't have the same resources or the same access, then you end up doing things in, in different ways. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from, from people in, in different regions of the world. Mm-hmm. If we're just open to connecting and to listening. Yeah. And I know that you and I've talked a lot about like, what does it mean when it's uh, remote first, uh, you know, for someone who's very junior, who's just starting for the first yeah, time, and that's not ideal, even within knowledge work. Um, and so, you know, I love what you're saying. This hybrid approach is pretty important. How do you get the people who need to be next to people? Um, yeah. It's not for the sake of heavy supervision so much as it's for the sake of mentorship and yeah. it's for the sake of, of career advancement. And I kind of come back again to wire, you know, it doesn't have to just um, happen, but I'm going to give a plug too to uh, the accelerate program. It is amazing in the market research world. I've put, you know, several of my employees through it, but really getting those people who, and they don't have to be brand new. I mean, even some people who've been in market research for many years found this to be absolutely valuable of saying, show me how this whole industry is connected. And show me how I go about advancing my whole career and how do I push innovation forward? And how do I push, you know, how do I get involved and really get a platform for my own thought leadership? Just so many things. Yeah. I mean, the Accelerate program, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Tiana Hanson Drury because she was the brainchild behind it and organized it and, you know, really was the person that, that pushed that program forward. So I want to say thank you to her for it. I think you know, that, that came about a discussion that Tiama and a few other women and I had, Babita Earl and uh, Emma Cooper in the UK at Wire Exec, where one of the things that 
was really apparent to me was that many women didn't understand that you can be a really amazing researcher, but still never move into an executive role because you are not cultivating the skill set that you need in order to move into that role. When you get into the executive suite, you're not doing work anymore. You're running a business. There's a vastly, that's vastly different. So, you know, nobody, I didn't go to business school. So I didn't know how to read a P&L statement or a balance sheet. I didn't understand personal financial planning. I didn't understand negotiation. These are all things that the Accelerate program provides for. And so I would say whether you're male or female, uh, that program is available to you. Whether you're in market research and insights or some other sector, it's also completely relevant. It's not specific to, to research. We don't even, really even talk about research. We're talking about business acumen and what it takes to move into those senior management roles. And that I think that's been lacking. It was lacking in my own career. They were all things that I kind of had to figure out as I went along. And I think, you know, our responsibility uh, as, as, you know, business owners and, and women that have made it to where we are is to bring up the next generation and to make that path easier for them. I love that. My friend Kingsley Akins, he says, you know, I, I'm at the point in my life where I'm, I'm taking the elevator back now to go pick a few people up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love the way you got, you got to, you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Arnie Fishman, who was the, you know, the owner of Lieberman, which is now material. I remember on in my first week at Lieberman, I had to sit down with him and he was, I was terrified, of course, um, because I, I think I was 26 at the time. And he said, I remember one of the things he said to me was be nice to everyone you meet on the way up because they're the same people you're going to meet on the way back down. And, and he was absolutely right. I mean, I've had interns that are clients now. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's incredibly important to to, to recognize the people who are around you and, and realize that we are in, the, you know, it may seem like we're in a very big industry, but it's actually incredibly small. No, no, it, it is. It is small. And um, okay. So let's talk specific about what do I need to have in mind? What, what, what should I be thinking going into 2022 right now? Give me a couple of tangibles, yeah. or, you know, tangible and tangibles, whatever you want yeah, yeah. to put it out. Yeah. You know, a few things, you know, I think that, you know, take a really close look at your business model. Business models, particularly in the sector, are changing really rapidly. And a lot of that is because of pressure that companies are getting from the amount of private equity and venture capital money that is moving into this space. And so, you know, many of the old business models that, that folks are running are, you know, are not, are not up to, up to speed with where they need to be in terms of, of profitability or with their growth rate. Uh, I think people, one of the, you know, one of the things that folks look at when it, it comes time to, to sell is what's your, you know, what's your growth rate? What's your profitability? What, you know, these are all factors that go in. And if anybody wants to um, see a one sheet of sort of what drives valuations in the industry, you're welcome to email me and I can, I can send you that. But I do think that it, it was interesting coming coming out of kind of the first wave of COVID where business started to bounce back here in the U.S., particularly in the qualitative space, I did have a number of clients who had really been adverse to moving into online qual, who now when they look at their profitability numbers are like, hey, online qual is pretty awesome, actually. Maybe <laughs> I won't be going back to face-to-face, -to -face, you know? Yeah. And so I think just looking at your business model and having an understanding of what, what is going to drive growth for you in the, in the new year is super important. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that 
partnerships and collaboration are super important. I know you and I have beaten this drum quite a bit in, in the industry and I'll continue to. Sometimes it makes sense to, to build something and most times it makes sense to partner or, or, to, or to buy. Uh, and so I think integrations, collaborations, even competitive collaboration in, in some cases can, can be really great for companies. You know, why try to do everything yourself? I think that there's this there's this aversion to partnerships or to integrations for some reason. And I think it's, it's really odd when, when there are a lot of opportunities for growth in the, in those partnerships. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, you'll be proud of me that actually next year I will finally get that book out. Collaboration is the new competition. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's true. And I, I think that you know, I mean, there's a, you know, a saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's, that's true. And yeah, of course, some people you compete directly with, and that's not maybe going to be an ideal partner for you, but I just see so many times people trying to do things the, the, the hard way where I'm like, God, just build an API integration. Like, why are you trying to build this from scratch when it already exists? And they're doing it 10 times better than you. Like, mm. yeah, it's just, uh, I don't, I think part of that is people not understanding what brings value to a company and eventually to, to a, to a company sale. And then there's also an eco component to it, which is, oh, well, I want to build it myself and I want to own it, own it myself. But that's not always the fastest path to growth. No, and it makes me think of um, it, you referenced that uh, that uh, blog article you wrote about fuel or friction. I mean, that was so so great. But it made me remember something you said in there about it. Also requires you to do some discovery work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it requires you, uh, you know, to actually as a marketing company say why are people, you know, not triggering on the things that we're building, or as a market research firm irony of all ironies, which you talk about all the time. Why won't you do market research about your firm? <laughs> oh yeah. Market research firms never want to spend a penny on marketing and research. It is so ironic. I mean, I cannot even tell you how many times when I have suggested that a, a market research firm do research on their own brand, just getting a blank, like just flat affect blank stare with like, well, why would I spend money on that? I mean, the irony is is so incredible. I'm, I just, I'm like, are you, are you serious right now? Cause <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I have to say in all my years of experience, it's like when we started marketing automation, we built our project management board of little bird marketing first. And we still, to this day, we still have, you know, bases on Trello boards, due dates. I mean, we still yeah. run our, you know, we're our first client. Right. But I cannot even tell you how unusual that is in it the is. marketing world. It's it just is. Yeah. crazy. Well, just yesterday morning, I sit on the board of Forza, which is now the my old company, which is kind of funny. So I, the Cipher was bought by Focus Vision, which now has merged with Confirm it to become Forza. And I spoke to the product team, so, you know, a global product team yesterday. And they had a ton of UX researchers that are on the call. And like, that's so refreshing to see because the user experience, that's that friction point. You know, you want to remove all points of friction for people who are, are coming in to use your technology and your services. You want to make it as easy as possible for them to buy and to understand how, you know, how to get in touch with you and how to contact you. And I don't think that we spend enough time on that. You know, and I would say if you haven't spent any time on that, just, you know, like ask a stranger to go to your website and navigate it and figure out, tell, tell, have them tell you what, what you do, you know, and how to get in touch with you. It's, it's pretty eliminating. 
And if the, if the answer is, I don't know, but you started in 1982, then you know, you know, you have a lot of work to do. Right. Yeah. And your website looks like it was made in 1982 too. So yeah, they're, they're sending you a page. They want you to call them. them. Yes. Yeah. 1982, your pager is going off. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, as a huge thank you as always for coming on our show, I do want to tell everybody that in my personal opinion, you have the very best blog in this entire market research world. Uh, It is called Scaled. You should go visit them at scalehouse.consulting and go sign up because I am not joking. When she says that she curates content um, that helps businesses grow, I'm just telling you that's, there's never been an understatement of the year. (laughs) You know, this is where my journalism degree paid off. I write all my own content. And it's funny. I've had a couple of people reach out to me like, Hey, could you let me know like who writes your content for you? Cause I'd really like to hire them. And I was like, I write my own content folks. Right. My own content. (laughs) I practice what I preach when I say you've got to put effort in and money. I do both. I do. Well, and you know, you write three articles a month and my gosh, they are highly relevant you know, they're right now there, there's something that is, you know, tangible that I can take away from it, but it also has that depth to it, to where I can say, you know what, now I see that pattern. I can't unsee it. And now that's going to help me go forward with anything that I'm going to do in the future. So you really should go subscribe to there, but you know, just uh, again, as a huge, thank you, Kristen, is there something that you want to pitch or something that, um, you know, you'd like to tell people about what's going on with Scalehouse consulting in 2022? Yeah, I mean, we have a we have like a little ebook that's coming out. Um, I think next week called the five keys to a growth mindset. And growth mindset super important. It was interesting at TMRE, which was just a couple of weeks ago, um, or maybe it was a month ago. Gosh, I can't even keep track of how time flies right now. Um, but it was interesting because the the one of the keynotes said, you know, one of the most important things you know that companies can adopt is a growth mindset, and so. Uh, we've written a, a sort of a, a how-to guide for how to adopt a growth mindset and how to cultivate that within your team. So that'll be available for download next week. So look for it online. Kristen Luck, thank you so much as always. And great t-shirt. Great. Thank you. <laughs> great thank hanging you. out with you. <laughs> <laughs> always. I wore this t-shirt just for you. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, from all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day. Get that growth mindset on and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.